We are teaching kids to learn about everybody else except themselves. <laughs> that makes no sense. I teach my kids every day. It's like, we, we get to know about all these historical things. Do you know who you are? Do you sit alone in your room and you process why are you angry? Why, or is it really about that person or is it because you didn't handle this? And that is causing you to react that way to everybody else, right? And these are like sixth graders, fifth graders, first graders, right? And, and that's stuff that I didn't know. And I tell them all the time, like, I did my curriculum in a way that if my father had been exposed to this work, he probably would have had the skills to stay alive. And I really mean that and I really feel that. So when I'm teaching this, I see my father. I think about him, right? Um, I, in my wallet, I still walk around with his ID in my wallet right next to mine as a reminder daily, right? Of like why I'm doing the work. Thank you for joining us. You are now tuned into Trish Chat, a series that aims to normalize vulnerability through conversation. Our episodes promote meaningful dialogue around identity, culture, and real-life stories. We are your hosts, Steph and Jess, and everything you'll hear in our episodes are based on personal experiences. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Trish Chat. My name is Steph. I'm here with Jess. We have a very special guest with us today. But before we do that, I have to do my housekeeping, as they say in corporate America. Um, if you know of anyone who would benefit from listening to our podcast, please share it with them. If you have in any way been impacted or learned anything from our podcast, um, rate, review us on Apple Podcasts. And yeah, share the love, spread it around, share with a friend. You're getting better at that. It's not iTunes anymore. It's a, I, I, that's why I pause because I want to say iTunes, but it's Apple Podcasts. <laughs> you got it. I'm from a different generation where, you know, we had the, what do you call that? The iPod with the little, <laughs> with the little you, when you turn the volume, you have to and move your finger in a circle. Yes. Yeah. When you plug your headphones in through the top, kids will never know. <laughs> You're dating They will us. never know the struggle <laughs> of LimeWire. But anyway, <laughs> today we have a very, very, uh, like, I'm excited about this topic, um, restorative justice, and we have Carlos uh, with us today. Hi, Carlos. How you doing? Thank Great. You for us. Of course. So I want to I want to introduce um, Carlos. Um, I want to read your bio because me sharing what you wrote would not do it any justice. So um, Carlos is the self-published author of Translating Your Success and the CEO and founder of Translating Success LLC. Before running his consulting company, Carlos was an educator coach and mentor that has taught in and worked in with some of the top charter schools in the country, such as Inwood Academy for Leadership, Yes Prep, and KIPP, to name a few. His last role was as the restorative justice coordinator at KIPP Houston High School, where he developed his restorative practice curriculum. His work within KIPP and the Houston community has been featured on ABC 13 News. As a speaker and consultant, he helps schools understand the importance of restorative practices and helps them implement the uh, the practice with his translating success curriculum. His program includes restorative practice professional development sessions for staff, engagement for students, the translating success curriculum, which is aligned to ELATEKS, and includes 30 plus lesson plans and resources such as staff and student binders, 
with activities and literature to help implement restorative practices within classrooms. Former 30 Under 30 top American entrepreneur and national bestselling author, Errol Moody, called Carlos a great young speaker that is dynamic and personable. Wow. Yes. Wow. <laughs> That's Thank very you so much for joining us. I'm really excited for our conversation because I know we'll talk about a lot of things. Um, and, you know, in, in your bio, we talked about the fact that uh, you're the author of Translating Your Success. You have a consulting company. You um, run the restorative practice uh, curriculum. And that's that's a lot. Like that's that's incredible um, that you're doing all of these things and that you are helping to shape students in a very scalable way in the classroom and teachers. So before we even get into that, I would love to ask about your journey and what led you to this point of where you are today. Thank you, man. I love your interview style. Um, I, I do. I have a podcast myself, so I, I love the way you guys are just making it organic. And I'm sorry for the long bio. I, I should have shortened it. No, <laughs> no, that was great. I we we love it. We love it because it gives people a chance to get to know you. Sounds good. Sounds good. So um, my journey. Well, I started at SUNY Cortland um, as a phys ed major, um, and. When I was there, I remember I was playing basketball and I ended up uh, not coming to play for my junior year, uh, deciding that I hated the, the whole the jock um, label and wanted to do more. Mm -hmm. So as you may know, you've seen me on campus. Uh, <laughs> we both went to uh, college together. Yep. So um, I, I got super involved and I wanted to be more than an athlete, right? more than a, a sports person. So. I believe I had more, so I got super involved. And one of the things that I became was the multicultural life intern, the first intern and speaker for the college. So um, I spoke at my Kente graduation and then um, found a real passion for it. I remember getting the butterflies um, <laughs> in my stomach right before um, the speaking engagement. Um, that first one, I was super nervous, super prepped. Like I, I'm very diligent. I practiced the speech, wrote it down. But then when I got out there, I felt the butterflies, knees weak, arms are heavy. Right? <laughs> I, had the whole, I had the whole feeling that, that I used to get before a basketball so game. And I go up there and it was like magic. I swear to God, like I was, it just took me the first sentence and midway, like babies were laughing, people were crying. Like I got a standing ovation. I'm like, you ever heard of that beginner's luck thing? Yeah. And it, it, it builds over time. Like, oh, I could do it because I know I seen it that one time. Mm -hmm. So it started there um, and it just went phenomenal. So I kept speaking after that. Um, and I was an educator. I got into education, um, started teaching right away at 22 years old. And I kept going back to my alumni and other colleges and programs and just speaking. And then... Fast forward, I find out that it's a profession that you can you can make a career out of. I'm like, what? So I find the Tony Robbins, the the Les Browns, right? Yeah. And knowing me, like I'm the net, I, I'm not afraid to fail. So I'm hitting up everybody, 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 everybody. And the only one that hit me up was Ariel Modier. And he was like, hey, I like what you got going on because I started making videos at that time and and getting my stuff out there as a speaker and then he kind of like mentored me I'm asking mm -hmm. various questions learning the game learning how to uh, develop myself as a as a real um speaker and motivator and mentor so 
as I'm teaching, um, I moved out to Texas and that's where everything really blossomed because I was teaching at Yes Prep, um, a charter school in downtown Houston, dealing with a lot of the, um, you know, it was in a, a rough area and I was, and I came from it as well. So I connected and, but going there, I, I, I've taught for uh, several subjects for several years. And I remember I was doing some mentoring and I, one of my colleagues, he was working um, with restorative practices. He was a dean and I had never heard of restorative practices before. And he told me about this conference. Hey, you should go to this um, restorative practice conference. I think what you do and what you speak about connects to this work. Look it up. So I look it up and I never heard about restorative practices before 2015. And I researched, I'm like, oh, this, this connects vulnerability, you know, building self-awareness and being able to find a different way to handle things, right? Conflict resolution. Mm -hmm. So I do this, I prep, I do my 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 presentation on the Saturday and Apparently, there was a, a class from KIPP that was there, um, high school class, with a couple of administrators. I did so well that apparently the kids ran back to the principal and the administrators went back to the principal and told them about me. And he, call, he called me that Monday and offered me a job at the school. Like, hey, I heard about what you do. Um, we would like to get an interview with you um, and bring you in as a seminar teacher. That didn't work. And from there, um, well, I told them, you know, I have a good position, but I, I developed a partnership. So what I did was uh, I spoke at the Kip Houston High School for four times throughout the year. They implemented my, my book um, into their curriculum uh, with their seminar class, freshman seminar class mm -hmm. uh, with my book. And I was doing speaking engagement. I built a lot of relationships. And then next year, he created a position because when when I go and I, I'm it's not like I go at a certain time I speak and I leave it's a whole day event so like yeah. I, I wait I get there before the students get there I'm at the door shaking everybody's hand I want to get a real feel of the environment like what they need I'm sitting in classes and talking to kids at lunch and then I'll speak and then I get a feel of like yo what I wrote ain't gonna work like yeah. <laughs> like this ain't this ain't for this environment right here. so i get a feel of the environment and actually cater to the needs of you know the students and administrators um so i like doing that so within that the, the principal and administration saw the connections that i was building with the students and i would come in and kids would know me by first name basis and just start sparking up conversations that we left off with and same with staff so the next year he offered me a restorative practice uh, a restorative justice coordinator position. He just created it for the campus first time. And I was like, yeah, I would love to. Um, <laughs> things that, um, things were changing with administration at my current school. So it kind of worked out. And that's where everything like just blew up. Um, it was a very unique situation because restorative justice coordinator, I was dealing with, with uh, staff and, and helping them build restorative justice practices within their classrooms, within the uh, discipline and change and building the structure of changing the discipline and how that's handled at school and dealing with students and mentoring students. And there was this one unique thing. They gave me a counselor class called, um, I, they, they let me call it the restorative justice council. So it was a group of seniors and juniors that had finished all the requirements 
and it was an extra class. So what I did was he gave me full freedom. So what I did was I created a class where I taught them conflict resolution skills, circle leading skills, um, radical candor, which is a book written by Kim Scott about being mm-hmm. passionate and be able to be direct with people to be um, a better leader. Um, so I, I did all this stuff. Uh, I used my connections and then the kids started like doing the work on campus where they were the first line of defense. It got to the point where I was like, yo, Ibrahim, go um, handle this situation in 103, um, this argument with the teacher and the student or student-student. And I would use it particularly with the students that I had knowing their background, right? They weren't all goody two-shoe kids. They had like stories. So what I did was learn their story and then I connected it to situations that may come up at school. And then I had them become the first line of defense. um, And... It was amazing. I used my connections, um, my network of taking the kids to go do speaking engagements in restorative justice circles with elementaries um, neighbor, in neighboring uh, schools and then outside the schools and, and see other programs and how they run it. So we did that. And then ABC News got wind of it and they made uh, a segment on us uh, on the news about the class and what we were able to develop. And it was, this all happened in the first semester of me being there. So by, this happened by this November. Wow, and I, that's school awesome. School started in August. So like, it was like blowing. Um, so everything's going well. I found my niche. And that's what Ariel kept telling me. You have to find your niche. Um, and I was kind of like searching on like, you know, I'm passionate about what I speak about. But what's my, my niche? What's my lane? Mm-hmm. Right? So and right there, I was like, I got it. Right? I'm building it. And everything's going clicking, it's going well. And then January, that same year, January 10th, 2019, my father committed suicide. And it changed everything. And that's where everything hit differently. I was very close to my father. My father was a product of the school to prison pipeline. He actually mm-hmm. went to Rikers Island, um, dealt with a lot of trauma, um, unmet trauma uh, throughout his life with uh, being abused as a child, uh, abusing drugs and alcohol. But he was like a functional alcoholic. He mm-hmm. would drink, um, have his episodes, but he'll show up at work at 4 a.m. every morning as a construction worker. Um, and that kind of had a thing of like, people thought he was good, right? Yeah. When he was really dying inside. And I got to live that out um, throughout my lifestyle. Throughout my life, it was, it was weird where I was having certain particular conversations at a very young age. Yeah, I knew it wasn't normal. And my dad would come to me for advice about things that I would be like, you're supposed to be telling me this yeah. type of stuff. Mm-hmm. So it was a very weird connection that had built over the years and but um very traumatic situation. Um and I remember going to the hospital and you know trying to be strong for everybody and just holding it in. It's very traumatic because um, just seeing it and everybody breaking down and um, there were signs of it. And he would talk to me more than he would talk to anybody else. I would need, I knew more. And I remember saying like, you need to be careful. You need to be attentive. And everybody was like, oh no, you worry too much. So there was a lot of trauma that happened with that situation. Um, in the middle years, so I took some time off, um, really reflected. Uh, and I remember coming back, and, you know, my wife was like, you know, your, your dad built you 
to be better than him, right? That was his mission. And that was your measuring stick for so long. Um, and he's gone. I'm, I'm, and I'm scared. And I'm like, why? And this is like, do you know who you are now? He's gone. Yeah. And I couldn't answer that question. And the next week I was in therapy. So I had to like do the work, right? Oh. And, and from there, I remember it clicking. And I was like, you know, practicing this work. I'm teaching kids how to do this work. And I have a real life example. I had a decision to make. Was I going to let it hold me back or was I going to walk the walk? So I went back to work sooner than I was supposed to. Um, and, you know, I, I used it as a, a healing for me, um, leading by example, but also being on those circles with the kids and being like, yo, like, this is what I went through. This is what I'm going through. Um, and I want you all to see what it looks like. Right? Like, um, this is very traumatic. I don't wish this on anybody. But, you know, if it does get to it, now you have an example that you could you see a, a different way of handling it. You see that you can't, you see it being possible for you yeah. to get through. So I finished off the year. Um, we ended up doing phenomenal things, many connections. I still connected with a lot of students that I dealt with um, at that college, at that uh, high school. And But at the end of the year, um, my wife was like, take the year, build your, your business you've been working on for so long. So I created the LLC. And um, translated success was born. I mean, I've been I've been building it for five years, but uh, I kind of I finally put a name behind it and and, and made it a business. And um, that's where I took the curriculum that I did lesson plans. And remember, I have ten years of yeah. uh, teaching experience, so mm -hmm. I know how to do lesson plans. So I sat down with um, AP statistics and lit teachers, um, and it was like, yo, how do you how do you align what I what I'm doing to like teaks and teaks in Texas are like a common core uh, standards in New York. Mm. Right? Oh, I see. Mm -hmm. so teaks, they, they not T E K S, as names. I called it. <laughs> yeah, 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 they call them different names, but it's it's like standards, state standards. Right? Gotcha. So, um, I was like, how do you align it? Like, what I was doing, I knew it was uh, impactful, and I would go to uh, restorative justice conferences while I was learning the practice, and I was like. Yo, like this is amazing. We do circle, we do kumbaya, we understand. And then you go back in the classroom, like, how the hell do you make this work in here? Right. Like long term. So I saw a gap that yeah. needed to be filled. For me, I personally did not see a program that offered, hey, this is what we do. And yeah. here's what you can do for the rest of the year and beyond. Mm -hmm. So I was like, hey, there's a gap. Let me try to fill that gap. I already had experience of teaching that council class. Now let me make it a real thing. So I, I sat down with these AP uh, statistics people and, and, and lit teachers and uh, lesson plan savants and aligned my stuff to um, ELA standards, to um, health standards, right? And, and built it in where I was like, hey, I need to make it measurable. So I made assessments for my, my program, make uh, like how to how to put tests behind it, projects behind it, um, where they can break down literature and analyze text and, and break it down, things that they're doing on the common core tests, right? Yeah. And the state standardized tests. And I was like, this has never been done before, but I'm gonna do it this way and 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 build the restorative power curriculum um from that. And that's where it was built. Um and I know. I, I took the year and I kind of like redefined everything. Um, 
restorative practices, restorative justice is a, it's a practice that's done within six to eight hours throughout the day. Um, restorative power is a lifestyle. Mm. You cannot do this within the confines of the work hours or school hours. This has to be a lifestyle. It has to be a part of you, right? Where you got to walk the walk. Kids can smell fake from a mile away, mm-hmm. right? And here's the problem when it comes to, so I, de- I developed the curriculum for the students. But with that, I found a way to be like, here's a tool for the teachers. Now let's talk to you, the teacher. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was teachers are students that learn how to build the biggest walls, right? Yeah. They, they, they have found a way to get through without the majority without having to really deal with what's really going on, right? Yeah. And for me, it's about getting to that point, right? You can't ask a kid to open up and you're afraid to be vulnerable. There's power and vulnerability. Let's yeah. take it back and let's own it. Let's not, let's, not, let's stop being fake and asking these kids to be this certain way when we can't even do it with our own peers, yeah. with our own yeah. friends. So let's let's talk about that, right? So I open up, I use my message with my story of my father um, and, and, and my lifestyle and, and being able to see like the benefits of, since that happened, um, I became a better father, a better husband, a better son, a better brother, um, a better person, a better friend, right? Um, through the practice of me just living out, not something I do at work, this, is, this has to be a part of me, this has to be me, right? I have to be restoratively, um, sound in what I do and who I am uh, so that this work can actually be beneficial and, and seen as something that could work, right? Yeah. Um, so when it comes to the, the teacher aspect, I, I train teachers on how to break that, right? It's, it's not about, we are taught for so long um, to whatever happens in the household stays in the household. Don't let oh, people yeah. see your weakness, right? Don't let nobody see you weak, right? That's bull. And that's what killed my father. And, and honestly, and I say that straight up, and it's like, for me, it's like, let's, let's flip it, right? Let's own it. The more you say it, the more you understand it. Yes. Because the whole thing with, oh, keep it in-house. Don't talk about what's going on. Um, don't tell people your feelings, blah, blah, blah. It ends up being, we don't even talk to our damn selves. Mm-hmm. So who ends up not knowing ourselves? Us. And then we're just passing down trauma to our students and our, and our kids and our youth, right? So let's break all of that. That does not work. Mm-hmm. That killed my father. So let's, let's, let's do something different. So in honor of my father, I built the program to, to, to change the game and, and get to the core of the issue. Um, it's not about painting the, the school over with a nice color of like restorative practice. Yeah. It looks nice. It looks pretty. Let's, let's, it looks like a better way, right? That's bold. Let's, let's get to the truth. So when mm-hmm. I go into these schools, talking to these these teachers and we're doing activities and and, and programming that will like bring awareness to them and my lessons are strategically put in a way where you have to open up with the students and then it's going to make you think about damn i need to go talk to my cousin i need to go talk to that friend that i just messed this relationship up with right so that i can be whole so when i walk back in the building dealing with these kids i, I can be better 
right? So it addresses all of that within going through the program and the lessons and running it um, and, and, and experiencing the situations with students and the real relationship building. You can't, you can't get, 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 get and never give. Mm-hmm. I think teachers are taught to just get, receive and don't give. Mm-hmm. You only become a great teacher when you are able to go 50-50 and treat a, per- treat a student like a person. Yes. Right. And be able to connect on a whole nother level. So hopefully that answered your question. That was like a whole journey. No, right that know, was that was that was really good. I, I really appreciate that because it provided a lot of context. And I want to say I'm very sorry to hear about your dad. I also want to say kudos to you for going to therapy because therapy has. Is very stigmatized and it's also very stigmatized for men. Um, so, so just you, the act of you going to therapy and then being able to share that is incredible because it sets the example for other boys or men who may be listening Mm -hmm. to, to this podcast or to anywhere else where you've spoken for them to feel like there's at least one other person that is like me that has gone to therapy so I can do it too. So I, I really appreciate that. I also, um, I love so many things that you said because I think we oftentimes think about vulnerability and opening up and we think about that within the context of our personal lives, but we don't think about how um, children spend a majority of their day in school and that has a huge impact on them. Mm-hmm. And I think about, I'm a product of public school. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't go to the best of public schools. Mm-hmm. Um, we went to the, Jess and I went to the same high school. It was not the best. And there were so many kids that would, their behavior was, um, you would look at it and you'd be like, you're a bad kid. Um, mm-hmm. and they would get punished. They would get suspended, mm-hmm. et cetera. But when you look back at it, after you've done some of the work, you're like, that kid was crying for help. Mm-hmm. Um, and nobody helped them. Yeah. They were yeah. just continuously punished. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think what you're touching upon is they were using cutting school, screaming at a teacher, throwing a chair, cutting class. They were using that as a way to deal with whatever they were going through because they didn't have the tools. Yeah. And I, I, that's how I look, that's how I address it. Like, and, and see, I was, I, I grew up with my father my father was very street. He came from it. So, you know, he protected me from it, but he came from it. So I saw all the struggles. And I remember in Kip Houston High School, I, I mentored this one kid, Sam Lopez. And um, I still talk to them to this day. Um, and he reminded me, he was a splitting image of my father. Wow. So like dealing with him, he a splitting image. You know what I mean? Looked like he got everything together, charming as hell, um, was able to connect with people, but he his temper would just... And he has so much unmet trauma. And as I get to know this kid, it reminded me so much of my father, where he didn't know his father. And there was a lot of fear there, mm-hmm. abandonment, right? And, and, and fear of being seen. And that Jay-Z said this, um, and it connected. That's why Jay-Z is my, one of my favorites, the, my favorite mm-hmm. artists of all time, right? <laughs> yeah. um, he said it. He was like, um, growing up in his neighborhood, right? You get this whole, what you're looking at, right? But that tells you something, right? Because it's like, you get to the point of like, understanding like, people don't want to, you to see their pain. So if mm-hmm. you see somebody, oh, he sees me, he's looking at me, he must, 
man, yo, what you looking at? I can't let him know he's looking at me and I'm I'm feeling weak because yeah. you have to protect your territory. Yeah. So I really connected to that uh, because that's what I seen my father go through, like legit. Like I seen my father get in fights right in front of me, like off of that, what are you looking at? And as I got older, I started seeing like, yo, and knowing my father, how how loving, how, how um, caring he was, he was a complete opposite. It was all a sense of protection, yeah. right? A false sense of protection. Um, and what I've learned and seen in that, also another line from one of Jay-Z's songs, he says, I flipped the words when I used to sing as a little kid. He used to say, um, Hope did that. So hopefully you won't have to go through that. Yeah. And I used to change the words up to like pops did that. So hopefully I won't have to go through that. So yeah. like, that's why I never drank before. That's why I've never um done drugs. Like just may have seen me at parties bugging out. And that was a big reason because I was like, I'm gonna go to the parties and I'm not gonna let a substance control me. Mm-hmm. What I'm gonna do is be what I learned from my father, I saw that he felt like he couldn't be himself without something, right? Yeah. He couldn't say what he wanted to say, he couldn't do what he wanted to do. So I was like, I'm gonna do everything I wanna do. Yeah. Right. And I'm gonna remember it in the morning. <laughs> so for me, um, I, I, a lot of people thought I would be drinking, but I was not drinking. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I was just having the best time of my life and focused on like memories. And I've had the most peer pressure ever. Um, but the back of my mind was like, my my pops did that, so hopefully I won't have to go through that. Yeah. And it takes a strong mentality, but it just takes one, right? And then, mm-hmm. you know, over time, people start changing their conversation. I get people back in the up and they're like, yo, those don't do that. Those driving us home. And, you know what I mean? And it just becomes part of your personality, but you have to have purpose behind it. For me, it was uh, my father, but, like, he had a lot of unmet trauma, and there was just always a sense of, like, hiding it, protecting that. For me, it's like, like I said earlier, the more you say it, the more you understand it. And that's the thing about therapy, right? Like, and that's there's a whole thing with people of color going to therapy because that was yeah. a way, if you look at the historical sense, that was, that was a way for people to get your information yes. and then use it against you. So like, there's a real understanding if you look at the history of why people, black people and people of color have like do not like therapy, right? There's a reason for that. But... My father, he used to go um, constantly and he would tell me, I hate it. They don't give me no answers. They don't tell me nothing. Like I'm paying for him to, for me to talk. Like why? I, why? He had this whole attitude about it. And that's, that's what I knew about therapy. So I went in and initially I was like, she's not saying nothing. And then everything, like once I'm talking, everything clicked and it made sense. And I saw therapy differently. And I was like, this isn't for that person to tell me anything. You see, I've been using people in my lives to like drop my baggage on them, drop my baggage on them. In particular, the one you're living with, right? Yeah. My wife, right? At this point, I'm just every day here, here, here. That becomes heavy, mm-hmm. right? If I don't have another place to put it so that I can be better understanding of it to go talk about it with my wife, it's just going to continue to be heavy on her. And who is it going to affect her? That is what happened to my, my parents' uh, relationship. And I also noticed that. So that all clicked in that moment. It's like, oh, that's why they had trouble connecting. That's why I was so heavy in the house. It was always one-sided. 
And then I started feeling that in my relationship and it started becoming um, like I needed, and my wife really pushed it. I didn't understand it, but, and then I told her, oh, I get it now. Mm-hmm. Like you need a break mm-hmm. and I need to be able to come more whole yeah. to you so that we can work together on being parents. So we can work together on becoming better husband and wife for each other mm-hmm. instead of just using you. Right. And, and and that's how I started looking at therapy. And since then, it's just been like, it's for you to have a place to understand it better so that you can be more whole. And I remember the, <laughs> it's crazy. I spoke at Cortland um, two months after my father's passing, right? Two months, which was crazy. It was already set up. Um, and I was like, ah, I can't do this. It's crazy because the, the, a year before, two years before, I had did a speaking engagement at Cortland and I drove up with my father and I had it set up where we were going to do it again. Mm-hmm. Tickets were purchased, everything was already done. And I, it, it was like, damn, like I shouldn't do it. Everybody was like, you shouldn't do it. It's okay. I like the same thing that happened when with my class. I'm like, I, I, I know it's going to be hard, but I, it's bigger than me at this point. It's bigger than me. So I asked my uncle, um, my my father's brother that he was very close to, um, and we drove up and we connected. I remember the, when I went with my father. I'm grateful for this because um, when I wrote this book in 2017, um, I really opened up um, and I talked about a lot of things that I witnessed and saw. And that didn't go well with a lot of family members, mm-hmm. and, uh, <laughs> as you can imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I say, um, like, when I when I talk about like what stays in the household, stays in the household, and whatever, like I really went against that, right? Mm-hmm. And I really like tested it, and I took a risk. Mm-hmm. And because of that, my father, one of the things my father, because um, I talked about from my eyes, like how it affected me, but within it, I saw some things that affected me, and that kind of like for him and painted him in a certain way he didn't want to be seen yeah but uh with that it kind of led to some dialogue that needed to happen for healing and I remember on that drive it was a five-hour drive from New York City to to Cortland and um we talked like we we cried the whole time we talked about everything and he kind of like allowed himself to be who he actually is without having to put a shell up and, and yeah. pretend and it was the best situation that could have happened. Um, and we were able to hash things out and, and really talk on a whole nother level. So unfortunately, I was able to have that moment before, um, like before he passed. Um, and then I was able to do that with my uncle. Mm-hmm. So I went up there and same thing happened. Like I, it felt like he was, and he looks like my father too, um, which was like weird. Um, but we connected and um, I remember going up there and speaking and talking about it. and. I got choked up and it was hard and I like I was getting teary-eyed and I'm like oh, I kept on having to take a break and it ended up being powerful but still I remember the next time it got easier mm-hmm. and then the next speaking engagement it got easier and now I'm having a podcast and I'm not shedding a tear mm-hmm. right because I've done the healing of the more you talk about it it don't matter who knows because I know it better than anybody yeah and that's the point the more you talk about it, the more you understand it, the more power you have behind it. Totally. 100%. And that's the flip side of what we were taught growing up. 
You have like a therapy in cars. You should make that a ritual with like your whole family. <laughs> Just go down the line. Pick a person every time. Take a ride with me. Five hour. That that ride will put you in a in in an emotional place for oh sure. Oh my gosh. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, you you talk about restorative justice and your work is around restorative justice and you you talk about this quite frequently on your podcast and mm-hmm. you have the restorative power program that you created. How do you define restorative justice? Well, I think with restorative justice, um, you see, I, I, I did some research and restorative justice was a thing. Indigenous people used to do it. Mm. It's a whole thing of circle. It, it, it's not new. It was just, it was given a different name and it was taken uh, from what was done before yeah. and um, redone. Right. So yeah. that's the first thing. Um, and with restorative justice, I think it's the, 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 the flaw with restorative justice is that no, like it just seems as a good thing. Like I said, it's like painting uh, over the, the, the problems. Right. Let's cover it up. Right. Mm-hmm. Let's let make it look nice. Let's say we have this. Right. But it's not actually like making an impact because there aren't the fact that I saw that gap that there isn't something tangible, measurable that can last full time. And it's not, I'm not saying that it wasn't out there. I just, it, I didn't have access to it right away. Yeah. Right. So it, it wasn't normalized. Yeah. Now I know I did my research after that and I found out Oakland, California has a lot of programs in their schools with restorative justice and they're pretty big. But where I was in New York, it was like, it wasn't normalized. Yeah. So for me to be able to do a curriculum and it's rare, it's a problem. So I'm like, and why isn't this normalized? Mm-hmm. Right? We are teaching kids to learn about everybody else except themselves. <laughs> that makes no sense. And I tell my kids in my class right now, um, so this year I was hired as a restorative power teacher. So I'm teaching my curriculum at an elementary school this year. So I'm teaching K through six. So okay. by the end of the year, I will have a high school curriculum, middle school curriculum, and an elementary curriculum. And each one, I was on the ground level teaching it, so I know it works. Okay, nice. right, so um, I teach my kids every day. It's like, we, we get to know about all these historical things. Do you know who you are? Do you sit alone in your room and you process why are you angry? Why, is it really about that person or is it because you ain't handle this? And that is causing you to react that way to everybody else. Right? And these are like sixth graders, fifth graders, first graders, right? And and that's stuff that I didn't know. And I tell them all the time, like, I did my curriculum in a way that if my father had been exposed to this work, he probably would have had the skills to stay alive. Mm-hmm. And I really mean that and I really feel that. So when I'm teaching this, I see my father. I think about him, right? Um, I, in my wallet, I still walk around with his ID in my wallet right next to mine as a reminder daily, right? Of like why I'm doing the work. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and thinking about the Sams, right? There's so many of my fathers out there that don't have a person to make them feel like, hey, like I can grow up to be that or um, there's a different way. Like I remember me, I was very fortunate. I grew up around a lot, a lot of craziness, but within it, the best thing my father did was he didn't block other men from being the influence of my life, mm. right? So I had a coach, he, he would go into the neighborhood and 
the gangbangers and the, the, the drug dealers and everybody will give him respect because he, he raised some of these kids, right? Um, and, and then he will go into the school with administrators and still get the same respect in the suit. And I'm like, whoa, right? So like just having that visual, he had the same slang, he had the same talk. Um, he just had swag, right? But he was able to like make the transition. Me seeing that, Coach Powell like changed my life. And I was like, oh, I, I can do that. Right. So basically, um, that's what I'm, I'm taking to the class with restorative power. Like I said, it's a it's a lifestyle. It's not a practice. You can't do this within the confines of six to eight hours a day. It got to be when you wake up and you're dealing with everybody in your life. So when you get in that classroom, it's like second nature. Yeah. Right. It's not it's not something forced. It's not something weird. It's like I'm not, I know I'm getting to know who I am today more than I did yesterday. Let's yeah. go. Yeah, that's powerful. I think it's also so important for um, low-income kids and um, kids of color because um, I think that they have the burden of their circumstances many times, which is is just a lot to, to deal with. And then the burden of they don't have a pass to act out or lash out and have that be seen as like, oh, you need help. That's seen as like, you're a badass kid. Like you need, you need to be in detention. You need to be expelled. I'm going to call your guardian. I'm going to call whoever. And kids are taught many things in school, but one thing that we're not taught is take some time and think about that. It's okay if you're crying right now, breathe. Exactly. It's okay for you to feel that way. The, the other part of that too, and what I'm dealing with now and I'm trying to fix and be a living example of is the teachers. Right? Because here's the thing. If a kid curse me out, it's never personal. A kid can act all rowdy, blah, mm-hmm. blah, and I won't flinch. One is because I've seen it before, but two, I know what it is. That's not tough. That's you crying for help right now. Yeah. So how do we get the teachers to see it in the moment and be like, yo, don't raise your voice. Talk lower. Look the person in the eye. Allow them to see that you see them. Yep. Yeah. Right. And then they calm down as you stay calm. Like, here's the thing with, and I had to learn this. I wasn't always like this. My wife was naturally this person. And I admire that. Right. And that's, that's why I'm at. <laughs> <laughs> um, so like, but like, I wanted to be that. And I, I learned over the time. It's like, you don't go up to a level. You, you're the adult. You're the grown person. Now, here's the thing. People think. People like to act like they grown because of age. Mm-hmm. The age doesn't make you grown. Grown is an experience that you've decided to have, mm-hmm. right? And something clicked. For me, when a kid acts out, flip a table, flexes muscles. And that's another thing. Sam was like a football player. Like Sam was huge. Yeah. And Sam would flex and everybody be scared for Sam. And when I get Sam, Sam will calm the hell down, <laughs> right? Not because I'm being tough with Sam, but like I'm seeing Sam, yeah. right? So it's all about addressing that. And the only way you can address that is you address your own bullshit in your life. Yeah. And that's the thing. People are running away from that. Are you looking at people in your life, your peers, your family members, and having these tough conversations? If you're not, how am I going to ask you to act do that to a kid? Yeah. You can't. Because if you can't do it to a parent, a cousin, a relative, and be able to have that tough conversation and bring it down, right? Yeah. 
You can't do that for a kid. And that's the big thing. Let's address that part, right? Because it's more about the reaction. The kid is a kid, no matter how big or how tough they are. You need it. And that's the whole thing with the policing as well. It all connects. Like I look at it and I talk to the kids too. It's the same thing. If you if you don't want to be a part of the problem, we need to do something different. And I, I like identify your privilege. That's the thing. Like I know I'm very privileged. I'm a Latino man, but I can pass, right? We went to Cortland. Me and Jess went to Cortland and I, there were many, I had a lot of friends that looked nothing like me, mm-hmm. right? That were like, but I was able to get into more spaces because of my 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 skin tone and my passability, mm-hmm. right? There was privilege in that. We all need to identify our privilege. Yep. And if we can identify our privilege and accept that, we can go in and build empathy. Yeah. And that's what we don't have. We don't have empathy because we came through. And even me, just because you come from the hood or just because you come from tough situations don't mean you understand. And that's what I had to learn the hard way. I don't understand what you're going through. Yes. But I see you. Now tell me what you're going through. And, and that's how you connect. Even me having to go through it and see that it's like, it's not the same. You need to be able to bring it all the way down and, and humble yourself. I don't understand what this kid going through, right? I've seen something like it, but I don't know. I know I don't understand, right? So how do I get to understand? Let me build this relationship because I see you first and I explain it to you, yeah. right? Okay, so this is what we're going to do after that. And when you're able to do that work, then you can make a difference. But here's the thing. With schools, there's so much to be focused on yeah. that it doesn't allow that. If you're not naturally that person or you're not working to be that person, there's no space for you to work on that. Yep. And that's yeah. the problem with the school system. Completely. I think if you're not being measured on that or compensated on that, it's kind of like, you know, you don't, right? you don't have space for it. So that's spot yeah. on. And I, yeah. I think you, you kind of answered this, but I want to go into it a, a little bit. I'm actually going to read my question because sometimes the questions, they're just like five paragraphs long, one question. But, mm-hmm. but I, I, what we're going to get to, we're going to get to it. So you talk about changing school cultures from punitive to restorative. And a large part of this is how teachers and school staff are able to understand their students' circumstances and how that impacts their behavior. In our experiences going to schools with a majority of low-income students, the approach was to have more of an authoritative approach to control those behavioral issues. And what those students really needed, in our opinion, was the tools to help them address the struggles and issues that they were going through. How does the restorative power program work with staff and teachers to bridge that gap? I know you you talked um, about it a little bit in terms of like teaching the teachers how to be those people who are empathetic. Um, so hopefully maybe we can go into that a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I, I think, um, you know, breaking that. And then for me, when I go in and do my, my PD, my professional developments for schools, um, I, I do two day sessions. And by the end of it, everybody's usually crying, right? And and the first day is me explaining me and me being vulnerable, leading by example. Yeah. There's vulnerability, there's power of vulnerability. So I got to show it first. I use my story, right? The second day I have teachers sit and do activities and I just circle, like sit and really get to know each other. And I had people come from two different worlds and actually break down and like, oh my God, like, and this school that I'm working with, this high school, in, this charter school in New York City, uh, New Visions for the Humanities. Um, and they went 
amazing because I, I, they got to have those breakthroughs. Now you're not going to get to everybody, mm-hmm. you know, understand that. But as long as you start getting some, the culture starts shifting, it'll take time. Right. But for me, I think that's the whole thing. Like we're trying to control everything. Right. And, and we need to break that. Right. Um, I think if anything, 2020 has showed us that there's a lot of flaws in this country um, and the systems um, that are built and the origins of the systems. Um, Schools were built to create factory workers. The world is completely different. So we need to do something different. Now it's all about having people that have innovative minds to be able to do that and the bravery to do that. Every school that I've worked at, the principal had a different mindset. The guy who bought me in at Kip Usa High School, he was like, I don't care. I'm gonna tell my boss I need this. I'm gonna find the money to pay you to do this. Um, the assistant principal at that time, um, at that same school at high school, she ended up going off and building her own elementary that I'm working at now. Oh, and she brought me in, right? She was like, yo, teach your curriculum, right? Let's do it earlier. I saw your effect on high school students, but there was already so much stuff that done to them. Yeah. Let's get them earlier, right? So I got kids in kindergarten talking about toxic behavior. It's behavior that damages relationships. I don't want to be toxic. Oh, <laughs> I love that. That's incredible. Yeah, so- I had um, my my dean of instruction came up to me and was like, yo, did you hear about Jackson? Uh, he's a kindergarten kid. And um, Miss Siska, his teacher, was like, hey, did you hear about Jackson? Like, he, he did you see his paper? He had this warning. Like, and she was like, what are you talking about? So she went up to Jackson and Jackson was like, what is that? And she was like, and he was like, oh, that's, that's toxic behavior. That's behavior that we don't want to have, right? So like... Having these conversations earlier, I never heard of um, I never heard of that before mm-hmm. growing up. I never heard about these terms growing up. So I'm legit trying to have these lessons where they break things down to build that understanding to avoid um, being in the position that my father was. Right? Yeah. Um, it's building awareness early. So um, I think when it comes to Changing the culture it has to be from the ground up, but it has to be more than just having a restorative justice coordinator or having a dean doing restorative practices and circles when it goes wrong. That's why the curriculum is very essential. It has to connect to the whole, what the, the school is doing as a whole, yeah. right? So it's, it's normalized in classrooms. It's normalized in, in, you know, in every aspect of the school so that when things go wrong, it's not like, why are we doing that? It's like, okay, that's what we do. Yeah. yeah. That makes that makes a lot of sense, and I it just warmed my heart to hear of a kindergartner use those 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 terms, and I think that's so important because I think back to my childhood, um, and there are things that I knew didn't feel right. I, I know that the way you're talking to me doesn't feel right, but I would gaslight myself and 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 be like, but I like I guess it's just the way that things are. But once you give somebody the words to be able to identify a feeling or describe something, you're giving those kids so much power because no one can ever take that away from them. No one can ever, uh, well, they they can try, but it's just going to be so much harder to gaslight them, to be like, no, you listen to me because I'm saying this to you with the yeah. kid being like, but that's toxic. Isn't that toxic? Just at least mm-hmm. questioning it and having that curiosity so that they can process those feelings instead of 
pushing it down, which is what what a lot of kids are taught. Exactly, and uh, with this with the school, unconsciously, um, teachers are pushing toxic behavior on the students, and the students are aware of it, so they lash out. Like mm-hmm. legit, that's what it is. Um, and like I said, it, it takes um, you to want to do the work to actually do something different. And that for me is like I'm trying to change the game where I created a tool. It's working. I have three schools that have, have implemented my curriculum. I'm, I'm starting to develop statistics. I'm on the ground level and doing it. Next level is like me having that tool. And now I'm coming in and I'm training your whole staff, which I've already started doing. Mm-hmm. But now moving up into it, like I'm become. I want to be a coach where I know teachers get trained, get evaluated by their coaches, by deans, right? yeah. the dean of instruction. Mm-hmm. I want to be a restorative coach. Where I come in and I give you advice on how to deal with situations, how to run the class restoratively, and implement one lesson plan for my curriculum once a week, once every two weeks. Yeah. Right. So that is it's 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 building that that um, awareness of the work, right? Um, in terminology and awareness, right? So um, doing that is the next step, so that coaches can really shift and and, and building into where it's a it's a norm. It's not you know something that you know, isn't in all schools, but in all schools and done right. Totally. I love that. I think that that is going to make a significant impact because I know that there are many shortcomings um, in the education system. And I would love your opinion in terms of how you think the education system as it stands fails low income and students of color or well, students of color. About, I think it's all about... Um, um, exposure and, and um, availability of stuff. So I think it's not it's not an even playing field, mm-hmm. and that's that's the thing, right? You know, um, there are schools that have very little compared to these private schools and um, institutions that have everything at the tip of their fingers, mm-hmm. right? So um, the fact that I don't feel comfortable enrolling my daughter in the school that I work at is a problem, mm-hmm. right? So um, that is that is an issue, right? And I see the resources that my daughter, like my daughter is using an iPad mini in her class, like where, where I work is a whole different world. Yeah. Um, and that right there is the gap. Um, and I think, you know, this issue can be fixed. Um, but it has to be a need, and, you know. It just seems like it's not a priority right now. It's just like um, the, you know, if the if some get it, then good. But we don't want them all to get it, right? Mm, so yeah. it seems like you know pressure creates diamonds. Behavior is gonna uh, they 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 want right? Like you get a Jay Z once in a blue moon, but that ain't gonna happen for everybody. That's a certain um, uh, possibility of you running into the right situations at the right time. It doesn't happen for everybody, right? So I think um, having having a uh, a even playing field, what what needs to happen, but until then, it's just having these conversations and understanding that it isn't and and how are you going to bring it closer to to getting there. Um, And if we are going to have these um, openings of, you know, uh, spaces where we can build something, 
why not build life skills, right? And for me, so that's boring. what my class is. That's what um, restorative power is. Like I tell my kids all the time, like we're doing this test. Like all my tests are open book. It's like, yo, just like, I don't, because I remember a class in college that we took. Uh, I forgot the class, but every test was open book. I swear I still remember the answers. <laughs> uh, years later, everything else is like gone, right? Um, because it's the pressure of like memorization. And that's not how you learn. You learn from like actually understanding it, right? Mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter if, you know, um, you have an open book, right? Because um, it's more than that. So I do it like that. And I tell my kids um, with the projects that I do is like, this is not just for me. This is for you. Today, um, we started our life maps. So we did timelines. So uh, we go through every event that happened in our life. And I tell them, like, this is for my fifth graders. And my, my kindergarten, I... I do it uh, a, a smaller version of it, right? Yeah. But um, essentially, is I tell them like a lot of us grow up ignoring what happened to us mm-hmm. so much that it comes biting us right in the butt. Like it's the reason why relationships don't work out. It's the reason why we continue to stay angry mm-hmm. and not understanding why we're angry because we're not processed. So if you're able to sit down and do a list of things that happen to you at particular ages and breaking that down and then let's get creative and do a life map on it right so like show me your journey through life about the most important moments sad uh travel happy or whatever right then you're giving kids a, a different outlet right so they they can start processing right and usually i'll always get one or two or three kids that end up crying in class right and then they come to me secretly and tell me about something they went through right but the only way, like I tell you all the time, um, tell my teachers, you have to lead by example. You have to show them how is, how what's the the benefit of being vulnerable. Yeah. Right? Like I, I show them, like I've gotten to this point. Like I, I know, like it, it, I got choked up that first time. It's gonna be hard to say it the first time, but the more you do it, the more power you take back, so that you're not left out when you're older, not knowing who the hell you are. I say it just like that. Do you sit alone? Do you understand? Do you process? It took me a very long to do, a very long time to do that because I was so programmed to just do what I had to do. I was dis- I was a disciplined person where my wife is like naturally a processing person and, and naturally like is self-aware. And that's yeah. a skill that I had to develop over time. But I see the benefits in it because I see both sides now. Right. So so important. Um, yeah, just having that that those conversations with my kids, like, yeah, this is this is for a grade, but this is more for you. Like, you can take this home and you can understand like what is toxic behavior, and not just to, to tell somebody you're toxic. It's more about like that's toxic. So let me let me make sure that I can not become toxic and step away and find more positivity or more mm-hmm. beneficial relationships around me. I have an example. And sometimes we can't run away from our examples, right? Because we live with them, right? Yeah. I had that, right? So for me, it was all about like, how do I not become that? And the only way you not become that is ask the right questions in my book. And I use my book, all my schools that I work for, mm-hmm. purchase my book um, because I, I made it for the kid. I wrote it while I was at Yes Prep um, and every, I hated reading. So every chapter is three to four pages at the end of each chapter is a uh, reflection questions for kids to answer about their own life. So I'm the okay. example 
and then you process your own stuff. So the first chapter I talk about um, how I found out addiction was real as a little boy, the incident that I witnessed my father and I was like, oh, this is an issue at nine, mm-hmm. right? And um, from there, I used to be angry as a teenager, like, why don't you just stop drinking? Why don't you just stop doing this? And I realized I was asking the wrong questions. And it wasn't until I started asking, hey, Pop, why do you drink? And then I was able to learn. So now I was like, oh, you feel like you can't be yourself. Mm -hmm. Oh, you're trying to run away from your reality. So if I just make my reality what I want, I don't ever have to run away. Oh, if I if I understand why where it's coming from, I don't need it. I don't want a substance to control me to say what I want and do what I want. I don't want to fear that. Yeah. That came from asking those right questions. So the first question in the book is, who do you need to talk to? Write down the three questions you need to ask that person. Go have that conversation. And the last question is, what happened in that conversation? Mm, love that. That's awesome. As somebody who uh, was uh, forced to suppress their emotions for a majority of their childhood. Um, some of the things that I tell my current therapist is like, I just wonder how much my life would have changed had I started therapy way earlier. I would have been like a lot more um, in tune with uh, my feelings. And the fact that you're providing this to your students at such an early age, I think is such a game changer for their lives to be able to process whatever trauma they have that's unmet but also to be able to process anything that could happen in the future so that it doesn't live in their body and and Mm -hmm. impact their subconscious and the way that they react and the way that they approach life and the way that they see life and the relationships that they have those are skills that are timeless that kids can use for the rest of their life and that's so critical and so important and it's so important for kids of color and it's so important for kids who are growing up in low-income households and it's so important for kids who are growing up in households where they are experiencing trauma which is practically every household because yeah humans traumatize each other Um, but that is so important so I'm so happy to hear that 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 you're doing this um and that that this is scaling to more and more schools because yeah. I think had I had this at a much younger age, it would have completely changed the way that I, ha- I had approached life and a lot of the things that I did that maybe I'm not proud of or the ways that I reacted to things that I'm not um, proud of. And what I, what I tell my kids too is like, you know, I, I learned this the hard way. Um, sometimes, you know, you'll get information and it won't hit you. But as long as you have it in your Rolodex, it'll smack you five years down the line or 10 years down the line, and then you'll be able to connect the dots. And that's all that. That's how I look at it. There's some kids that just have struggling, right? Some kids ain't just going to get it. And there's a few that I'm dealing with now. Um, but I know just having the experience of knowing this terminology, knowing certain steps to take, knowing how to deal with certain things, it'll hit eventually with a couple of experiences that make something click. And some a light bulb go off, and that's all you need. And I think just like I said, exposure. And if we can even the playing field to like just having the same exposure, let's see what happens. But they that's people don't want to see that yet. And then once we even the playing field, we can see how far everybody could get if half of them aren't chained down when we start. 
hundred percent. Um, if there is a educator listening to this podcast, how can they learn more about the program and how can they bring that program to their school? Excuse me. <clears throat> Sorry about that. Um, <clears throat> no worry. You know, when you drink that too much water, and yes. you back your throat, <laughs> yes. that's what happened. <laughs> oh, um, so yeah, uh, Everything can be found on my website, uh, cjmotivation.com. Um, I have where you can purchase uh, my book if that's where you want to start at, Translating Your Success. Mm-hmm. It's at all bookstores, Barnes & Nobles, everything. Um, but quickest way is amazon.com. Mm-hmm. Just type in my name, Carlos J. Malade. If you don't forget the J, that will <laughs> um, me be differentiated from everybody else. Um, but my book is the first step, and then um, I offer my curriculum to schools from kindergarten all the way to um, 12th grade, uh, where you can get uh, sections of my curriculum to do a program, to do an, um, a homeroom or uh, advisory periods where usually they have a cohort of students um, meeting with a staff member every day. Um, they call it advisory at my school, but I know most schools are doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm working with the high school where I do their lesson plans weekly for their advisory period. Nice. And they talk about um, these topics. Like last week, their uh, topic was microaggressions. What oh, are they? Mm-hmm. How do they look? Um, how do you address them? Why is it, or why is it uh, offensive to say certain things, right? So, <clears throat> so that with, with that, so everything's on... Um, cjmotivation.com uh, where you can purchase that uh, and my book and speaking engagements. I speak to students. Uh, I do um, engagements for adults, teachers, um, people in the business world as well. Um, and I'm expanding. Uh, I'm now training people to uh, create their own curriculum and be able to purchase, package it and, and, and sell it to schools as well. So awesome. um, I'm continuing to, to to grow my business in different aspects, but everything, like I said, can be found on Amazon. On not Amazon, that's where you can find my book, <laughs> Success. But uh, you can find it on CJMotivation.com, or you can just Google me, Carlos J Malade. Everything will pop up uh, that I have out there on the web. So yeah, I'm I'm, I'm open and willing. I'm working with three schools um, in New York City and in Texas. Um, my goal is to get my curriculum in as many places as possible, mm-hmm. um, whether it's a small program to a class to a whole school. Um, I've I've been able to work the steps of getting in schools in all different ways. Yeah. So I know how to do it. I know how to build it out. And I'm building statistics and data for it. So it is credible. It is measurable. And that is the difference. It is aligned to standards um, where you can actually say, hey, this has helped my kids become better readers. This has helped my kids be able to analyze uh, things, right? Um, This has helped my kids' awareness of mental health, right? So Mm -hmm. I I offer that um, to anybody that's interested. Contact me. Um, 
my contact information is also on my website, CJ Motivation. Um, my social media is YouTube. I have a YouTube channel where I run my podcast, also um, called Translated Success. And then I, you can see all the work that I've done within schools and um, where, and all the different aspects that I just said, whether it's curriculum, whether it's speaking engagements, you can see my work um, on YouTube as well. Awesome. I know that in the tech space, people talk about like bringing their whole selves to work. And um, I think I think it's hard for adults to do that, but I think children bring their full selves to schools. Mm-hmm. And I think this is a great time to, at the very least, get curious about the res- restorative power program, because I know that with having to do virtual learning on both the the being a child doing virtual learning, but also as a teacher teaching virtually, I'm mm-hmm. sure that there's a lot of stuff that people are processing and that um, this program would be amazing to help kids process that, to help educators yeah. process that mm-hmm. because, you know, kids, kids aren't miraculously going to get better at math if they're angry all the time because something's going on at home. Kids mm-hmm. aren't going to be faster readers if they're, they have this trauma that they're trying to express, but they just keep getting in trouble every time they try to express it. Like it's not going to make them want to pick up a book faster. So, mm-hmm. um, these are the sorts of things that I appreciate because it's, it's giving you the tools and the framework on mm-hmm. how to put something into practice. And in my experience, I don't think a lot of things exist out there in any sort of space that give you the steps of exactly what you need to do. Um, a lot of people put out the, the, like the, here's how I got my kids to do X and Y. And it's like three things that you're like, this is so above my head. Like I, I over my head, I, I can't even understand. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate that you are very hands-on with your with your program that you're giving the the steps on how to do things um and that you're your person that's here that's talking about it that someone can connect to and ask questions so yeah. um thank you for all that you're doing for for teachers for educators for students for schools like that that's amazing appreciate it thank you agreed agreed yes thank you so much um is there anything else that you wanted to touch on that we didn't touch on before we go? We'll definitely be sending people your way. So expect some book orders at the very <laughs> least. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that. No, I think, um, you know, uh, just building awareness of, of self, man, so that we can become more whole. Um, our youth is uh, following in our footsteps and they're watching us, whether you think you're a role model or not. Um, you are being watched. And, and, and if you're in a position uh, to have influence, um, you should know that healing yourself is the first step to actually making impact. Um, and that's that's all I'm about um, and working towards every day. Like I strategically, you know, put people in my life so that I have to force myself to, to work for myself. Like my wife is uh, the realest person that tell you, when you're looking a certain way and, and have those conversations and isn't afraid to have those conversations. Friends that I've stayed connected with or built relationships with in the recent years have been people that are straight shooters. Um, and necessarily, I, I'm not naturally like that, but I, I've built my awareness that I need that around me, right? Yeah. Accountability is key. Um, and it, it, it's about, you know, 
people need to people need to stop being afraid of knowing themselves by touching on the things that are hurtful and painful because the more you hide it the more it's going to hurt um yeah. and it's just going to be passed down so that's what restorative power is about um i want to connect with as many people as possible i'm always willing to have a conversation um and, and and build um so thank you ladies for having me on i love the podcast uh, i've watched several shows um mm-hmm. on the on the um instagram the mm-hmm. snippets that you guys put up and then also um on the apple mm-hmm. where you guys have your stuff up so i've listened to a couple already and i appreciate okay. you guys taking the time to to put this work out there it's important um and very necessary for all of us so in any field that you are in um so thank you for having me and i appreciate you guys and whoever's interested i'm i'm, I'm here awesome but uh thank you very much for your time we really appreciate it i know that our guests our uh, audience is going to love this um you're a great storyteller and i want to commend you for that like you've really got me in, yes. <laughs> engaged here and i'm like damn <laughs> so much and like I, I know a lot about your stuff because i've 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 followed your journey and, and just read your stuff so um thank you and we'll definitely have you back on if you're willing to be back on so sure. awesome all right well till next time thanks everybody peace